Welcome to another episode of Mental Conversations, a podcast focusing on positive mental health and overcoming the struggles of life. My name's Chris Sutton, and today I'm excited, really excited today, because I'm joined in the studio by Chloe Bellery. Chloe is an 18-year-old mental health advocate, public speaker, transatlantic footballer, love that, uh, and true inspiration. So thank you so much for coming into the studio. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, it's really lovely to meet you. I've been following you on social media for quite a while now, actually, yeah. and um, a little bit starstruck meeting you in the reception. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, we, we've talked a bit over social yeah. media and about what we were going to talk about, and the, the clear thing is we, we have some similarities with our kind of mental health journey, yeah. and really, um, I've mentioned this to you before we started recording, I'm really interested in your perspective of mental health, and particularly what you've been through because you're you're 18 years old uh I'm 42 so quite out of touch with that so it's really trying to get that perspective in the hope that some people might listen to this and um think actually that's quite similar to something I've been through and and maybe get some hints and tips as to how you've kind of worked towards your recovery really does that sound all right yeah it sounds perfect yeah cool so um what do you want to let's tell me about your mental health journey where did it all start Uh Well, looking back, I didn't. I, I guess I don't really know when it properly started. I think probably my first spell of mental health problems was when I was eleven. Um, I had no idea about mental health problems at the time, and I don't think I actually knew about them until I was sixteen. Because mm-hmm. in kind of through my high school experience, I didn't like we didn't really get educated on it. Okay. Um, I think conversations around mental health were really were avoided because people felt uncomfortable talking about it um so when I got to the age of 16 I I had a few spells of mental health problems throughout kind of that time out I spent some periods quite down um I think obviously I didn't know what was going on I didn't understand what was going on in my head and because there was kind of nothing in place in school to go to or speak to I didn't I didn't know where to go yeah um when I kind of got to the age of 16 I obviously I'm playing football so I had a game one one day and I think that was kind of the game where everything changed in my head um I had a panic attack that game I think that was my first experience of a panic attack right um and that's kind of when I knew something wasn't quite right because that was kind of the first day of like months and months that I self-harmed um yeah and I kept quiet about it for kind of five or six years Really? So, so when you, so taking it back just quickly, when you, so when you were eleven, yeah, how was it kind of manifesting itself then? What were you like? What were you feeling? So, just for example, um, I had a bald patch when I was eight. Yeah, you know, like so I and like was anxious, like yeah. really, I would worry about everything. Mm-hmm. I've got a very clear memory in my mind of going up to the teacher to ask about a spelling because I didn't know how to spell shoe. Yeah. It's a tricky word. Yeah. You know, it is a tricky word. Yeah. But I remember really clearly having, like, heart palpitations mm-hmm. about having to ask. And everyone else in the queue was also going to ask mm-hmm. about a spelling. But I was, re- like, properly worrying. worrying about it. So what? So when you were 11, what were you feeling? Like, do you remember? Um... I think I just remember, again, I kind of feel felt anxious as well. Um, I was always worried about putting my hand up in class or speaking to new people or yeah. things, anything kind of like that. Um, 
I had really like negative feelings. I, I used to like kind of not eat as well, I guess, because um, there was so much pressure about being this certain way or looking a certain way. Um, and I felt that a lot when I moved into high school, especially. Um, and I guess that's kind of how I felt. I kind of felt like I was, something wasn't quite right in my head. Like it was almost as if a cloud was above me. Yeah. But I, like, I just didn't, I didn't know what it was or why I was feeling that way or if anyone else was feeling the same way that I was, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really familiar, actually. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that, you know, quite a few people experience difficulties, but when it gets really intense, mm. you know, when like you say, so then, you know, moving on to when you're 16, you kind of, you, you know, you get to a point where it does actually crunch, you know, you're like, hang on, something's snapped here. Mm. So for you, it was during a football game. So what happened, what was, what was the physical sensation of like having a, a panic attack then? It was probably one of the scariest things I've ever kind of experienced, like especially as a 16 year old, not really knowing anything about it. Like I said, I wasn't educated on anything to do with mental health problems, but um, actually experiencing it. And I kind of seen the worry in people's face around me because no one had ever seen me like that before, I guess. I was quite a bubbly and outgoing person mm. at school, like through the years. Um, I was kind of the class clown almost. And to go from like one extreme to complete others, I think you could see in the face, like in people's faces, that they were concerned and didn't really know what was going on. But you didn't know what was going on either. No, yeah, I, which I, is I, terrible, I didn't which have is... a clue what was going on. It was, it was really scary. I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't really see. I felt really dizzy. Um, I was kind of trying to catch my breath, but I, like it did you almost get, felt impossible. Did you go like did did you, so you're in the middle of a game? Uh, no, this was so we just finished the game, um, and I remember we lost. I I can't remember how much it was by, but it was an important game, and uh, the coach, um, the teacher that actually helped save my life, he he asked if I was all right, and I just remember like tears streaming down my face, and I ran off because I couldn't. It's almost as if I couldn't breathe. It was a weird sensation. Yeah, I mean, it sounds absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. And then, so then, so what happened next then? Uh, I locked myself in a toilet um, in the girls' changing rooms, and I, my best friend plays football as well, and she she actually ended up climbing climbing over the toilet door to come and see me because um, I refused to let anyone in. I didn't want anyone to see me like in that way. Um, I guess I was kind of embarrassed at the time. Yeah, um, and I, I as. I think anyone, a 16-year-old girl, would be. Yeah. Um, but I also think, looking back, that I, that I shouldn't have hid away. So, and then, so beyond that then, so when you, so when you came out of the, the cubicle then, and how did you, what did you find the reaction actually was? I think every, everyone was just worried more than anything. Yeah. Um, I eventually came out and I just sat on the toilet floor with uh, a teacher at the time and, uh, like I said, my best friend um, and she, yeah, they, they were both just very worried about me yeah. um, and I think the reaction was a lot different to what I expected it to be. And in, an interesting, because I find this really a really key thing when it comes to like support and helping people is that if it was, if that was your best friend, like if the roles were reversed, how would you have reacted do you think or what would you have been thinking about about them um i i think as a 16 year old i would i've been concerned um my my best friend she suffers with mental health problems so i kind of i knew what she 
I knew she was going. Like, I knew she, I would know that she was going through something. But you wouldn't. Have, but you wouldn't have been thought this person should be embarrassed. Oh you, no, not at all. You no. didn't. So what? So what? I, I think when it's you going through it, you're kind of like you're very like hard on yourself. I guess yeah. I know I am anyway. Um, but if it was someone else, for example, I I wouldn't even think. I wouldn't think they should be embarrassed. And even your like facial that. expression now, I know yeah. people can't see you, yeah. but you're looking at me like, no, like what? Yeah. Like yeah. as if you'd be yeah, like, exactly. no, I'm here, I'm here for you. Like yeah. I'm going to look after you and like, yeah, God's exactly. sake, you know, like, so, but, but like, so if someone's listening to this and it resonates with them and they're thinking, yeah, I feel like that. I feel that cloud. I don't know what it's about. I'm yeah. feeling rubbish as well. You know, actually people are going to help you. People oh, are going to yeah, support are, yeah. you. And I, I messaged someone yesterday on, on Facebook that put something about they were really struggling and, you know, don't, please don't worry if I go off Facebook for a while or whatever, because I'm going through a really hard time. Yeah. And I thought, look, you know, I, I'm not going to like try and step in and save the day or anything like that. But I just sent them a comment and just said, look, you know, this is a team effort mm-hmm. when you're trying to kind of help your recovery. Yeah. It's a team effort. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. You know, so anyone who's listening to this that's thinking, how am I going to get through this on my own? I can't speak to anyone because I'm too embarrassed. You know, people will help you, professionals yeah. as well as like family and friends, won't they? Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. So, so then, so what happened on your journey next then in terms of your mental health? Um, I think it was complete downward spiral from that. Um, I think it was in February 2016, so... Um, from that night on I kind of self-harmed every single day for months um, I, obviously I had prom at the time, it was my year 11 prom um, and I I planned to wear a short sleeve dress and I couldn't wear a short sleeve dress yeah. um, I reached out to a, well, I kind of reached out to a teacher she um, encouraged me to speak to her a little bit um, so I opened up to her and she helped me in speaking to my mum eventually Um my mum didn't know anything about it. This was four months after um, the panic attack and like yeah. four months of self-harm. We were going on holiday. That was the only reason I told her because obviously I'd have to wear like long sleeves and yeah. long trousers and things like that. Um, yeah, and then I was, I went to the doctors just because my mum, like my mum asked me to. Um, and I had a waiting time for, I think it was four months to go to a CAMS counselling. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. That's really hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It's so hard. hard to be critical because there's so, you know, there's a res- there's a resource there, but it's so hard to get hold of sometimes, isn't it? I think a lot of times have reduced actually now for cams. I think, mm. um, but it's still you know you you need it you want it straight away, don't you? But yeah, exactly. I think people in crisis definitely need it. I think I. Even though my weight wasn't that long compared to some people's, it was kind of when I hit rock bottom, that time period. Yeah, and you really needed something. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I had a similar thing where I um, I received some... Um, it was actually CBT, Cognitive Behavioural mm-hmm. Therapy, on the NHS. You know, I love the NHS. But I was off work for uh, five months with mm-hmm. depression. And my first counselling session was the week I came back. Oh, really? <laughs> it was like, I was like, oh. you know, when you kind of, when you need, so when you need it, it's, it's difficult to find yeah. it unless you can go private, mm-hmm. isn't it? Which is, which is difficult. So, um, with the, you know, you know, with the, with the self-harming, how did, can I just ask, you know, um, give me as, as in-depth a thing as you want to. I don't, you know, want to push 
you on this, but how how did it make you feel like that you were self-harming? I think it, it kind of made me feel like I was in control. I, I think there was a lot of things in my life that I wasn't that were going on that I weren't in, like I wasn't in control of. So yeah. I think being able to have one thing that I could control. Yeah. Um, even though that kind of sounds a bit like what, but. But I think that's why it's key that you, yeah. I'm glad you said that because that seems to be a theme. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we've, I've recorded an episode of this podcast on self harming previously with um, uh, Katrina Lawrence. And, you know, she says similar things. And, it, and there is that element of control mm-hmm. there and having something that's yours kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important that people listen to that and they hear it mm-hmm. because if they're in that same boat, I think it's really helpful to think, oh, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thank you for, for telling me that. Um, so then, so then, so we, so you tell your mum, by the way, when you said, um, you've just done it again, when you said, uh, I spoke to my mum, your eyes lit up. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so that must have been a really emotional thing to... Um, I, I don't, I never really spoke to my mum, um... But I knew, I kind of knew that she had to know, um, eventually anyway. Um, I still don't really speak to my mum. I've probably sp- like told you more than what I've ever spoke to her. Right. Um, kind of like when I've done radio interviews and things like that as well. Like, that was probably the first time she's ever heard me say, like, in-depth details about that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think people my age don't speak to their parents enough, which is why I think my mum worried so, so much. Like, yeah. even when I left the house, she worried that I was going to do something, so... Yeah, it was important that she knew, I think, but... Well, this is a powerful medium for you to be able to have that communication with your mum then, and through the, like you say, the TV shows you're doing, and and I know that, so Katrina that I was talking about, I know she's um, written blogs, Mm -hmm. and that's probably a similar thing with her family. I have the same thing with my family. Like I said, I'm 42, and I have my parents saying, I never knew that, Mm -hmm. because I'll say things, you know, things in in this setting, so... Talking about it is another really powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah, is definitely. It? Yeah, I think my mum's found out more like through doing interviews and TV things than like me actually sitting down and speaking to her. Yeah, she must be really proud actually. <laughs> yeah, hear. I think I think she's quite overwhelmed with it all. Same with my dad. I think they both are. Yeah. Um, but I think more than anything that they're glad that I've managed to kind of get free it using like this sort of thing yeah 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 oh, it's, it really helps yeah it does. I, <laughs> I started this podcast to help people mm-hmm. but I know it's helping me you know yeah, I know I know it, it is, is. Yeah. I know it is I talk about a different thing every you know even the idea was to do one episode a week I'm releasing two a week just because I'm, I'm almost like addicted to like yeah, <laughs> to meet, meeting new people and yeah. talking about random things you know so um so so what what happened next then uh, obviously, I yeah, I had my referral, and in that time period, I went on holiday. Uh, it was probably the worst holiday of my life, and I think people would kind of like hear this and be like, "What do you mean it's the worst holiday?" But like, it was genuinely the worst. I spent most of the time sitting inside because I didn't want to be in the forty degree heat. Where were you? I was in Turkey, so okay. Um, yeah, and I was wearing long sleeves and long trousers as well because like the self-harm had got really bad at that time um, yeah. and I remember taking like a selfie with my sister and posting it on social media and um, people kind of saying things like oh you look so happy and like things like that and like little did they know like I was going through probably the worst time of my life yeah. um, and then a week after I came back I ended up in hospital 
because I try to take on my own life. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's. I mean. So when so obviously uh, unsuccessfully. So what? So when you kind of when you were in hospital, how was that experience? Um. When I first got brought into hospital, I just remember the nurse shaking ahead at me. Um. Obviously, the ambulance like paramedics had to tell them what why I was there and what had happened and things like that. But I just remember the nurse shaking her head at me um, and, like, kind of saying, I can't understand why someone so young would want to do that. Um, like, you've got your whole life ahead of you and things like that. And then when they asked to kind of see myself harm, I just remember her face, like, dropping. And yeah. it almost felt like she was kind of judging me, probably without meaning to or not understanding it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, d- I mean, I've heard... I mean, this is... A, this. Um, this may even be on like TV shows or something, but I've heard that. Um, so I may be completely off the mark, but that in the medical profession, it's one of the things they're supposed to do is to be kind of like, mm. you know, to not show sympathy, kind of thing, and to be like, look, you're almost like, yeah, you know, like you say, telling you off mm-hmm. and looking at you in that kind of way. So I wonder. I don't know, but I wonder if there's if there's truth in that. No, I mean, yeah, I think I've heard that as well before. So it may, you know, it may be that. Mm-hmm. It may be that they were in that kind of in that kind of mode of like that. That's the way we need to to behave. So how long were you in hospital for? I was there. Literally, they discharged me the day after. Right. Um, a counsellor came in from CAMS actually, and. Um, asked me questions I didn't really I didn't say much but I said that I still felt in danger um, and they kind of still let me go um, but just under watch from my mum so I wasn't allowed to do anything I wasn't allowed to leave the house on my own or anything like that right how did that feel it kind of felt like I was a prisoner in my own home um, I, bet, I bet yeah and I also just wanted everyone to kind of leave me alone and just let me get on with it and deal with it in my own way yeah uh, yeah. But then, would you would you have known how to deal with it in your own way? Like, did you? Uh, I don't think so. No, because I don't think I, when I was in a similar kind of state, I didn't. Mm. No, like I'm like it's interesting. You described it as being like under a cloud, mm. and you're absolutely right. I always think of it as like being underwater. Yeah, like drowning. Yeah, but mm. and I've described this on podcast before, so forgive me, those of you who've heard me say this before. But for me, it's like being underwater, but rather than not being able to breathe. It's like every now and then you get to take a breath and you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. don't want to take a breath. Uh-huh. You don't. You want it to go away. Yeah. But every now and then you get to take a breath and it, and then the agony continues. Yeah. And I remember someone saying to me, well, where does it hurt, Chris? And I was like, everywhere. Yeah, I don't know, body, just everywhere. It? Like, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it just hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it is that. So I know when I was in that underwater state that I refer to, there's no way for me personally... That, that I would have been able to think my way out of it. Yeah. You know, it just... It's impossible, isn't it? So it's really hard. The power I have now, the power I feel I have now, I hope, you know, is that because I know I've been through that, that one time and come out the other side, I'd like to hope that if I ever get back there again, I'll at least be able to think, mm-hmm. I've been through this before. You know, yeah, and come out the other side, I, yeah. but I, you know, you just don't. Yeah, you don't know, do you? There's Not no definitive. No, exactly. So, 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 what what happened next? Um, I was given counselling for a month, um, and I talking I kept, talking counselling was it? Yeah, or, right. um, that was with CAMS, yeah. and 
I manipulated my way out of it because I said I was fine when I wasn't. Um, yeah. I said I, was self, I wasn't self-harming when I was. Um, and I think it's kind of really easy to tell people what they want to hear so they can... It almost felt like I was kind of just like another person and the like the lady I was speaking to, it kind of felt like she didn't want to be there, um, which made me feel like I was just wasting the time. Wow, that's... That's yeah. some heavy hitting stuff right there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Because because what you because re- you re- I mean I suppose it's it's clearly a very difficult position in both you know both sides of it. But you, I was think I was talking to someone about this the other day when you when you have a level of counselling or when you when you go into counselling sessions, being the patient, you sometimes the level of expectation isn't set. Yeah. You know what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. That's what I've found. Yeah. And I remember going to counselling and thinking, they're going to fix me mm-hmm. and I'm going to leave here smiling and happy and juggling. And yeah. like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to get a red nose and <laughs> woo And like, you know, I literally, that's what I thought was going to happen. So that was like a step they missed for me. And again, I'm just talking about me personally. It's definitely a step they missed for me was actually setting my expectations that that wasn't what was going to happen. Yeah. We're going to try and get you to, you know, this point not that way beyond point kind of thing so did you so did you find any kind of similarities with that did they they set any expectations as to where you were trying to get to I was never really I was never really given like an end point it was almost as if every single session they were just trying to help me with like kind of myself harm more than anything Mm. um it seemed like the focus was around that it wasn't really like helped me to understand my thoughts and my feelings um which I think that's what I needed at the time I needed to understand what was going on in my head yeah um and I don't think I ever really got that and like kind of like you said that you expect to go in and be fixed but you're not at all yeah and I think that's why I kind of was just like I just want to go now so I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear and they'll let me go you know what I I remember filling in this um this um, I wonder I wonder if you've done the same thing I think it was called a PH9, mm-hmm. and then the, like a, for me it was like a GAD yeah. thing, which was like general anxiety disorder, so it was a questionnaire yeah, every yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, so I remember having the questionnaire. Now, I'm a people pleaser, mm-hmm. so if I scored low, I, wa- I wanted them to feel good, so I would <laughs> score it up. Yeah, I did that as well. Same yeah. kind of thing, you know. And for the anxiety, it was out, it was out of 21. I remember it was being seven questions out of, I think it was out of three three marks so you could either score zero one two or three on each of the seven things and I remember them going through it painstakingly one question at a time and every session I'd go it's 21 it's 21 don't don't even ask me it's 21 it's three 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 you're asking me the wrong questions Mm -hmm. I remember saying that you know so it's kind of it's frustrating yeah exactly so I think there's you know I do think the NHS do wonderful work and therapists can do wonderful work in fact one of the people that really helped change my life is a psychotherapist. Yeah. But it was a private psychotherapist that and was talking, you know, a speech counselling yeah. rather than um, CBT. Yeah, that's the one I had. You know, it was a really kind yeah. of... So I wanted to talk to someone mm-hmm. and for them to, like, reflect back. Yeah. And then it was only then that I kind of realised for me, and I, and I hope and, you know, think this is where a lot of people get to... I hate saying in the end, but kind of eventually, is that you realise it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, the, actually everything's in your head. Mm-hmm. And the way you're receiving information 
and the way you perceive it isn't the way other people see it necessarily. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's how you kind of work out information. So so you leave counselling. Yeah. And you've and you're fixed. You know, you've yeah, told them. Fixed, yeah. yeah, you've told them um, the things they want to hear. So what what happened next? I returned. Obviously, I returned back to sixth form after um, summer, and I think I feel like my mum must have told the school what had happened, just probably to put her mind at ease more than anything. Um, I was quite close with the PE department through my football and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the PE teachers, I remember him um, coming up to me quite concerned and just being like, "I know you're not okay." He was like, "I know, I know what's happened through." the summer and he was like I'm going to be there for you whether you like it or not um, and to be fair to him he stuck to his word for two years and he still does now actually really? um, and he was kind of the person that helped me get back on the road to recovery this um, is Mr O'Sullivan yeah, yeah Mr. O'Sullivan. I read you I read the article a few times that you yeah he yeah he stepped in I I actually started to plan my second suicide attempt um, after I finished counselling right um and he noticed something wasn't quite right and he stepped in and he sat with me in a classroom and I just remember him saying like I know exactly what you've got planned like I can tell by the way you behave and things like that um and he was like I'm not going to leave this classroom until you like you tell me exactly what's going on and, yeah. and he didn't let me yeah, nice guy me go. good yeah, guy he is a good guy yeah so that's straight I mean it's, it's interesting isn't it because you kind of think for something as serious as serious can be, you know, ending your own life, is is it's um, you know I'm not making light of it in the slightest, but it's always kind of tickled me a bit when you think you still listen to other people because you don't want to get in trouble or yeah. you don't want to, you know what I mean? You yeah, think, exactly, yeah. but I, but I, I had the same thing. I was like, oh, I don't want to you know upset anyone. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. So, but it's but again, it's another person. It's a human connection. It's the fact that there are people around you to support mm-hmm. you and it can come from somewhere you're not expecting it. Yeah. You know? So, and then from there, what's happened with your football? Um, well, I accepted my soccer scholarship in America um, and I, f- I flew out there in July this, last, well, this year, last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been there since. How's it going? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, I feel like it's almost like a complete, like, different way of life over there. Yeah, it will be, um, yeah. And I also feel like it's all, like, somewhere to, where to find myself again. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what I needed. Um, and it's challenged me more than anything, like, physically. Yeah. It is, it is tough. I can imagine. I can <laughs> yeah. imagine, yeah. But, you, I mean, yeah, again, your face lights up when you're talking about that. So it's clearly something you love doing. Yeah, and I absolutely love it. And how are you, how are you feeling now? Uh, yeah, I'm in a I'm in a good place, um, and I think when I'm in a bad place, I know how to deal with it in a healthier way than what I did. So how? So what would what would you do? So in terms of like, if there's someone out there who's thinking, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Chloe's just said there that I feel quite, you know, maybe similar age and yeah. going through similar kind of pressures at school, and you know, um, what are those coping things that you think that you've got access to now? I think I'm. I feel like I'm more able to talk about it. Um, if I, I know if I'm struggling, I've got people around me that do actually care. Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that when I was in like the darkest stage, I thought no one cared. But now I actually do know that there there are people there. Yeah. Um, also kind of things like football's my escape. 
I know that's not for everyone, but even going to the gym and things like that, um, going for a 10 minute walk, I find really useful. Yeah. I'm, I'm going for walks all the time at the moment, just because it kind of clears your mind and makes you appreciate the other little things in life that you wouldn't usually. Yeah. Um, and also I started writing in a journal um, and that was something I always used to turn my nose up at, just because I thought it was kind of like a bit, I don't know, guess for losers, but it, it actually really helps me because it helps me understand like what's going in my mind and I've started a mood tracker in my diary. Oh, I've seen it. You posted yeah, uh, something that. on Twitter about the picture of it. Yeah. Colour-coded, like, isn't it? Yeah, colour-coded and everything. But that actually, like, I feel like that will really help me in kind of understanding my moods and different triggers on each day and things like that. So have you started... Um, that's fascinating, actually. So have you started looking back, like, reflecting on it? Do you look back at, the, like, reading... Your, your diary or your journal in America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I've obviously I've only started that journal diary thing recently, but um, I did a bit of blogging before. Like I, I read back on them. Um, yeah, because I because interestingly, I I did a you should listen to a podcast I did with um, um, someone called Claire Smith, and she talks about she's got this ten tweak. Um, challenge. Um, actually, she she lives in um, Nairsborough, so not probably not too far away from your family. Um, and she talks about something called self calibration, which I didn't know what that meant. But but basically, it's about if you um, if you ate a whole cake, a massive cake, and then half an hour later you feel lethargic. But like, so an example for you would be like. If you ate the cake and then you happen to fill in your mood tracker, but you'd filled in on your journal that you had this massive cake, mm-hmm. you know, if you notice there's like a, a link between those two things, it's not saying don't eat cake anymore. It's just saying don't you know this is how you're going to feel yeah. if you eat the cake. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's so it's so it's not like taking options because I thought she was saying you know stop eating the cake. Mm-hmm. And I was like I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, but oh, but yeah, but actually it's just like no. You still have the choice, but you know how it's going to make you feel. So if you're able to, like, look at things in your diary and then look at your mood, there probably will be, you know, real links that you're able to see and go, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, if you're in America, you might say, oh, on a Thursday night, after I've spoken to mum and dad, Mm. oh, look, my mood's good, you know, for just for example, you know, like... And then it's like, okay, well, actually speaking to people that I care about is a good thing. Yeah. I'll do more of that. Yeah, exactly. All right, maybe it's an obvious example. Mm-hmm. But there'll be, there'll be other things that maybe yeah, exactly. that, that are the negative. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I'm, yeah I, I like the, the mood tracker. So in terms of, um, you know, I asked you, the question, I asked you the question and I was thinking... Is it even a good question to ask how you're doing now? Because, but you answered it really nicely in the fact that you obviously understand that it's like an ever-changing state. Yeah. You know, it's like literally, it's how you're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like by the time you get home, you might might feel different. Yeah, exactly. So you know, like I think it's quite important for people to understand when they're going through like quite extreme mental health things is that there is no kind of ah, oh, and yeah. I'm fixed. Yeah. You know. So it is like just a how are you doing today mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I like the idea. I like living in the idea that I'm 
constantly in recovery, if you like. Yeah, I say that to people all the time. Yeah, I'm quite comfortable. Do you feel quite comfortable in that state? Oh, yeah, it's, it is constant, isn't it? It's like kind of an ongoing battle, it always will be. Yeah. But I think if you accept that, then it's easier to deal with. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, when you get to, um, when you're feeling really down, you think, oh, no, I'm here, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. That's it, I'm going to stay here. You know, and one of the things I've used, in fact, I think I've used this during this um, podcast, the expression, oh, when you end up, you know, you never end up, do you yeah, really? You're never. always evolving and going through these change states. So um, we're actually out of time for um, for this, this first podcast we're doing. Um, but I'm really interested, in it. are there any other things that you'd like recommend to to people, I mean, I'm particularly thinking of a similar age to you, but, but you know, just listening to you, there's so many similarities between our experiences yeah. that it's for anyone. So, you know, my recapping of what you said is certainly around um, seeking support from people around you, um, writing it down, mm-hmm. um, the mood diary, but are there any other things that you've thought, you know what, that's really helped me? Um... I've also found mind mapping things out, um, especially when I think when I I've got a life coach now, um, and he he's introduced me to hypnosis. Cool. Which I know that sounds a little bit weird, but it actually is really helpful, and it just takes you kind of out of the zone for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. I've started doing that every night, and it. it it's so weird how it completely changes your mindset. Um, is it like a guided thing that you listen to? Or? Yeah, he. Well, he's kind of like he, he almost like he hypnoses me when I'm with him. Yeah. Um. Whenever I go into that session, I I come out completely different. Whether that whether I go in in a bad mood or a good mood, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he's given me like little clips. They're like ten minutes long, and it's like speaking. Yeah. Um. And you, if, I literally just lay there and listen to them. And yeah. It's so strange that really helped. That's really started to help me. And I, I know people think, oh, that sounds so weird, like hypnosis and things like that. But it actually is really useful and yeah. helpful. I've d- I've done some of that as well. And it yeah. and it it's actually it's for oh, people who practice this would probably um, not be too pleased with me saying this. But I think it's almost like a form of meditation. Yeah, you know, it is, it is yeah. that calming down. It's that subliminal. It's all the stuff that's yeah. behind your kind of consciousness. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, try Reiki. Yeah. I've, have you done Reiki? No. Oh, I'll talk to you about Reiki. <laughs> try Reiki, people. Um, yeah, Reiki is another thing that you can do, which is one of those kind of sounds a bit woo-woo type thing. Mm-hmm. But I come out of a Reiki session and my all the lines in my forehead have gone and I'm just like, night <laughs> feel nice and relaxed, you know. So um, how can, let, let people know how they can get hold of you on social media. What's your... Uh, my Twitter handle is at CNC Fundraise. Um, and I think it's the same on Facebook as well, actually. Yeah, I think it is. Um, look, thank you so much for coming in. I really, I honestly really appreciate Thanks it. For me. Um, and thank you out there for listening. Uh, as always, you can uh, follow me on Twitter or um, at Mental Comms or on Instagram. Please rate the podcast on iTunes so that it grows and even more people can benefit from some of these uh, inspirational guests that I'm having. And uh, keep listening. Another episode will be winging its way to you soon. Thank you.